all these communities have been advocating for equity for hundreds of years and yes. we're late to class Dave. Yes. we're late to class so late and <laughs> so late and so we have this like urgency that's part of white supremacy urgency of like yep. wanting to get it done and get in but we don't know how to organize or build community or any of that stuff because we haven't had to hello my friends and welcome to the dig new streams podcast i'm your host dave capozzi this week i welcome back my friend nancy Gwynn for a conversation about mistakes we've made along our journey of decolonizing from white evangelicalism Nancy just has so much wisdom, and I found both this conversation and my first one with her to be so inspiring. So if you haven't listened to that one yet, go back and listen to that, and then take a listen to this one. If you want to keep up with the podcast, subscribe to whatever platform you're using to listen right now. You can find a consistent conversation happening on TikTok if you search for my name, Dave Capozzi, and on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook at Dig New Streams Podcast. Without further ado, my conversation with Nancy Gwynn. Is there something that you remember that you feel like, yep, I missed that one and you kept going and you learned from it, obviously, because this is where you are today. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm curious. I make, I mean, I still make mistakes. And I think like part of the journey is understanding because we come from such a, uh, an environment that is rooted in shame and like guilt, you know, like you're a bad person. And so we take that mindset into anti-racism and we still have that mindset of shame and like, I'm going to mess up. I'm a bad person. And so we equate mistakes with morality and our, our sense of person, which is just, I've just learned that I've had to like humanize myself and say, I'm a human being, I'm valuable, I make mistakes and it's all right. And like, that's when you have to have empathy for yourself. Yeah. But that's really difficult because when I first started this, this journey, it was, I was so scared. Mm. I was like, so afraid of messing up because it's that people pleaser in me, you know, of like, I'm going to mess up. They're going to think I'm a bad person, you know, and I just, and so I didn't speak up you know, and I listened yeah. a lot. So when you're starting this, this work, you got to listen and mm. not speak um, when you're in, especially if you're in black spaces or watching a black content creator or whatever, like um, you just have to wait and listen. And yeah. um, so that's, that was oh. the main thing for me is like, if something is triggered inside of you by something that is said, or that you feel the need to respond, pause, <laughs> wait and like examine it. And then if you have questions, um, you know, if you're being educated by a person of color through anti-racism, which you should be, you should yeah. be learning from the black community and people of color, not white people. White people should not be teaching anti-racism education. <laughs> it's not because we don't know about white supremacy like people of color do. So um, sure that's don't. when. <laughs> no. So that's when like you have to take that into your community of healing, whatever that looks like, whether that's a person, a mentor. Um, you know, someone that knows that you're on this journey that is not white. Um, mm. and I think it's imperative that you build that kind of support. And yes. so you could, and realize that you're going to mess up. And I'm trying to think of like, I've made a lot of mistakes, but I can, um, I can start, I can offer one first. <laughs> yeah. that, go ahead. You go first. <laughs> so, yeah. So like for me, I do generally, I do a pretty good job of listening 
and that's been that's enabled me to to change a lot to like really undo a lot of racism in me Mm -hmm. however i've also been overly confident Mm -hmm. about about my knowledge Mm -hmm. and where i stood and so when i was first thinking about when i was first in the process of planting a church in a city that was economically under-resourced in the boston area predominantly black i was (laughs) at a pastor's conference that we had every every fall and I was sitting there with our speaker, who was this woman, Christina Cleveland, who I have so much respect for and have loved for years. And she's a black woman. This is on the heels of Trump being elected almost mm. immediately. Wow. And so she's there talking to a predominantly white male pastors in New Hampshire. Um, and so we're sitting afterwards, me, her, a few other guys, um, and great conversation. And then she, we're talking about the church that I was going to plant. And I sort of like wanted to self-justify and impress her with my wokeness, you know? <laughs> and, yeah. and so I was, she's like, you know, you need to make sure that you have um, the support of, and you're learning from and listening to the clergy in the city that you're going to, the black pastors and all that. Yes. I was like, yeah, yeah, they love me. Like I kind of went on and like, <laughs> like arrogantly just like trying to prove that I'd done that. Um, and it just came off so white Mm -hmm. and I like recognized it almost immediately. And just like she, we all were like kind of done. I, I ruined it. I ruined the conversation just by like saying like, yeah, yeah. You know, like, and this, it was just, and then the next morning I talked to her, she was great about it. But it was painful for me because I'm like, yeah. damn it. Like I, I've been on this journey for like 12 <laughs> years. I've submitted myself. Like you just don't end. You don't stop making those like stupid, arrogant mistakes. At least I, I don't. And especially around someone that I admire so much. That Yeah, that's a great example. Because I think like when you first start doing this work and you realize the injustice and like the perpetual like racism that really... I, it founded our country. It was based on white supremacy. And Washington, D.C., the White House, Capitol Hill was literally built by black enslaved people. Yeah. Like, and when I finally figure that out and then you learn the history of the inequity of our nation with people of color, you know, just systemic laws that were placed, redlining, you know, segregation, of course, but other things that were laws that were put into place that didn't say that this was for black people, but it was for black people because it excluded everyone else, but it wasn't in the law. So like they had a defense to say, no, that's not racist, but it only affected a certain population of people. When I figured this out, you automatically want to go into advocacy and social justice work and you want to advocate for the black community and you want to like stand in the gap, you know, because that's what we're told that we're supposed to do. (laughs) You know, like I am, you know, and that's that saviorism, right? That like, yeah. we're like, oh, I'm woke now. I know the injustice and I'm going to use my, you know, privilege for good. And I just, um, I was that person. Yeah. And, um, and so what, what happened is I started educating people about what I was learning, Yeah. but not pointing them to being educated by people of color. Right. And so I had, um, a, a, a woman that was teaching me all these things and she's like, very gently, she said, plug them to my community. Like we want people to come in and get healed. And it's like, people can't heal on TikTok. They can't heal on social media. They have to build community together. Yes. And it just, that was kind of like, 
And I was talking about all these things because I was so passionate about it because I was learning, I was growing, my my um my knowledge was expanding, and I yeah. felt like, okay, we got to get to work. But then we have to realize that these that the all these communities have been advocating for equity for hundreds of years, and yes. we're late to class, Dave. Yes. We're late to class. So late. And <laughs> so late. And so we have this like urgency that's part of white supremacy urgency of like yep. wanting to get it done and get in but we don't know how to organize or build community or any of that stuff because we haven't had to Mm-mm. so um, that was that's like the, right i mean yeah. like the world was literally built for you and for me too but like right. when you think of it like that um we're late to class but when if you're late to class then you need to you know get the notes from someone else and figure out like what you missed and also sit and listen mm. to what's happening and I, I think it's very difficult that's good that's good yeah. that reminds me of something not related to that but similar so like this, we used to have this bible study and uh at my friend's house and then we we had it for like an hour a buddy of mine comes very late at the very end like a minute left and the pastor goes you know does anyone else have anything to say he goes I don't know what you guys are talking about, but I have something to say. <laughs> <laughs> of course you do. Yeah. Right. I'm like, okay. Like, and, and I just think that's kind of a perfect picture of what you're describing. Like I have yeah. no idea really about any of this yet, but I got a little bit of knowledge mm-hmm. and I know that I can speak. It's not a question that I can speak up and mm-hmm. people will listen. Mm-hmm. That's just the way it is. Right. This It was yeah. built for me. So it's yep. funny to me when I engage with, people that are fully invested in racist mindsets. And when you talk about anti-racism, one of the things I've gotten a lot is have some self-respect. Like, like, Mm -hmm. like leave, uh, quit it with all your putting your white guilt on display, have some self-respect. I'm like, I'm doing this because I respect myself. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so like, if, if we're gonna respect ourselves and you find out that you've contributed to something unjust, Then, then you do the work. Yeah. I mean, and all of this is against the grain of what we were taught and indoctrinated to believe, which is perfectionism, you know, not having conflict. Um, Accountability looks a lot different in our community than it does in other communities. Um, Shame, you know, the way we speak to each other, we don't have empathy. We have to seek that out through healing. The church definitely doesn't teach us that um so what a a lot of times i and this was me too is like when you start this journey of healing you want to be urgent about doing this but then you also look at other white people that haven't started the journey and you have this superiority complex of like oh they they don't know yet i need to tell them how they're how racist they're being or and we perpetuate white violence that violence that's white supremacy onto each other Mm. And that doesn't bring people with us at all. It it further divides us um, as a community. And so, like, if we really believe that as white women and as white men, like, we have the power to dismantle this power structure, we have to do it together and with empathy and compassion and just um, people knowing that people aren't where we are and there's people ahead of us, there's people that haven't been enlightened to what really the history of our country is and the blatant racism that we are all raised in. um, You can't move forward without that. And so like there's, I love that one. Yeah. Tons of black women have said leading with empathy, especially as white women, like developing that for ourselves, self-respect, self-love, empathy, compassion, and 
like being patient with ourselves through this journey of like, mm. I'm going to mess up. I'm not going to get it right. And I'm going to uh, hurt someone in the process. But part of it is apologizing, recognizing a mistake, taking that as knowledge and not as shame and moving forward. And a lot of us aren't conditioned to do that because the church has told us the opposite. Yes. So that's why I think it's important to do your deconstruction and your anti-racism. If you can do it together, mm. at least I, I've deconstructed a lot further than most people, but like you can do it at the same time because it, it's all intertwined together. It it really is. I mean, that's yeah. why you recently posted something about decolonizing mm-hmm. as well. Um, yeah. And I, I think that that's necessary. I was just having a conversation with my mother and brother about like trusting what we've inherited as 21st century citizens of the empire. Like Mm -hmm. I'm the Bible was written not for me, but against me. Mm. I'm, I'm more like a Roman citizen than I am (laughs) a first century Jew under the oppression of the empire. And then who took it over, but Rome. So like Constantine, then there's the Holy Roman empire. Then there's European imperialism. Then there's evangelicalism. And here we are today. So like what we've inherited (laughs) is conquest. It's colonialism and and imperialism. Yeah. So when you realize that you do end up having compassion on yourself and others, or at least you should, because there's just no way to just like snap your finger or argue someone out of that. You know, it took us longer. I love that reminder that you said that the mistake is we want to shout down the racists or we want to like shame them maybe because we feel a little ashamed. Yep. You know, we're projecting the racism within us. That's what we're doing. Oh, that's so powerful. Yeah. So one mistake is familiarity with black folks. I know that in certain circumstances, um, I have found myself in the good graces of black people because I've spoken up. And so yeah. they have welcomed me into community. And then the assumption is like I did with Christina Cleveland, that that is like a universal like black card that you have now right? I'm just welcome everywhere. I could say whatever I want. I've got like, that's one mistake, the familiarity. The other one is white on white violence that you bring up. Is like there anything else that you've sort of in your journey paid attention to that like, this is one of the key mistakes. You also brought up urgency. Um, Do you mind actually talking about that one a little bit? Because that one, I remember confusing me when I learned about the sort of the, what are some markers of white supremacy and urgency was one of them. I remember that one confusing me. Do you mind talking a little bit about that one? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, urgency is something that we are conditioned as people like you got to get saved today. You don't know if you're going to die tomorrow. You know, um, the urgency of corporate work. I worked in a corporate company for 12 years and it was always, you know, in sales. I was a sales manager. So it was very urgent. And so that was ingrained in me. And so I when I start to learn about injustices and what's happening, I have a sense of urgency to like. And that's why people are so like quick to get in the streets and organize and hold signs. But what are you doing? Nothing. Right. You're walking because you feel like you have to do this because you feel something in your body of injustice for another community. And you feel like you're doing something when that's not really organizing. That's pr- protesting and letting people know how you feel. Yeah. But does that get to the root of legislation and policy within your community or your state government or whatever? Uh, it does not. <laughs> um, Oof, so the, the urgency good. is very like. Um, it's something I had to work through, but also because you realize there's people dying, you know, take police brutality, for example, when George Floyd got murdered, 
um, everyone was so urgent to get in the streets of white people, you know, this is not right, but it's been happening forever. And you're just now becoming aware of it. And so now you care, you know, kind of thing. And so in the black community is like, this is not authentic. Like, yeah, you care about this and you say black lives matter, but then you don't, um, you, you don't practice that in daily conversations, right? Yes. Like it's, 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 it's just madness and there's frustration that's, there. Yeah. That's a great example because I remember yeah. in 2020 that happening and there was this route, every white town around was having rallies. I remember this. Yeah. I got invited to speak at one in a, lo a town locally. And I'm like, I was like, wow, this conversation's happening in Whitman. Yeah. Like that's crazy. And then sure enough, within a month or two, not only did it fizzle out, but you started to see the blue lives matter stuff. You yep. And it was in response, not yep. to police, not to like people being enraged because people were outraged about George Floyd What it came in response to was defund the police. So mm -hmm. everyone was fine with the sentiment, but what they weren't fine with was the method to achieve. How justice. do you fix it? If you defend the police, which I, we can talk about whether that was the right slogan. Sure, sure, sure. But but were these people actually talking about reform, uh, you know, qualified immunity, like all of these policies that would actually help? Are they calling their state representatives? I don't think so. So it's like when and this is just something if another uh, organization here for the kids. This is like a an anti-gun kind of legislation uh, organization that is run by black women and women of color. And they're urging white women to get behind them. And they're going to Colorado on June 5th, I think, marching. And then they're going to go to the state capitol and say, we want you to ban ARs and we want you to buy them back. So they have a plan of what they want. Yep. And they're talking to the right people. Marching is great, but what are you doing? Because yep. if you don't, if you don't match your uh protesting with organizing of any sort to infiltrate government in whatever way, whether that's running for office, lobbying your politicians, donating to organizations then it's not going to go anywhere. Like you said, it's going to fizzle out. Yep. Um, and so we don't, when you think about it, um, you know, you had the suffrage movement yep. of white women wanting to vote, but they didn't include black women in that. Mm -hmm. So black women mm -hmm. didn't get the right to vote until 1965. My community got the right in 1920. Yep. So it was, they left all these women of color behind. And so yep. now we're at the point where black women don't trust women like me because they don't, believe that we're going to do anything with their activism yeah. and they're right. <laughs> they're right. Because we don't know how to, you know? Well, I think that that's a really good point. Cause I think that what Republicans do so well, and which is why they're able to move so many on so much legislation mm -hmm. that the majority of the country doesn't agree on with them is that they understand what you're talking about. They get the yes. system. They get it. Yep. Yeah. And you don't see them marching in the streets. You don't see it for, for abortion and gay marriage. They know what to do. They know how to play the game. Yep. So, so what we need to do is like with that urgency, rather than, you know, doing what we've done and letting it fizzle out, play that long game and understand these are not the ways that things get fixed, but our excitement over learning about injustice or whatever is happening within us our shame, whatever it is that drives us to not do what's effective. We just try to be right more than we try to be effective. And That's it feels right. like it's, this, you know, <laughs> it's this salve for us. It's yeah. like about making us feel better than it is about actually doing justice work.
hundred percent because we don't know who we are. And so our identity becomes social justice. And so like we, I don't know, like there's so many organizations and, and networks that are built by, by black people and people of color that need money. They need support. They need volunteers. Why do we have to be the center and the head of whatever organization? Why do white <laughs> people have to like, you know what I mean? Like, why do we I have do. to reinvent the wheel? Like yeah. get behind BLM. And if you are a white person and you like, get behind black lives matter and talk about police brutality in the white community because, but you center black lives, right? Because when you center marginalization, everyone is taken care of. So, yeah. So if you, if you center black kids and black women and you make sure that those kids have uh, food to eat, a great education, housing, childcare, everybody will be taken care of when you center the marginalization then and take care of them, everything will, will take care of everything else. Amen. Yeah. You sound like, you sound like Jesus. <laughs> it's a, it, no, it's true. Like he, the, the primary message of what he was doing was like almost economic that people don't really yes. understand. And I just don't, it's so frustrating, but I think that's such an important lesson. And we don't, the other thing I was going to say about Republicans is that we lead a lot of us social justice warriors lead try to lead with facts so i recently had someone say like just give me examples of why systemic racism is real i'm like you know them it's not about not knowing them it's that you're not affected by it and until you think that you're affected by it or feel it on some deep level you're not about to doing anything do anything about it you're just not so what we i just don't think do well enough is is understand how disconnected we are from marginalization that way. And so we've lost our humanity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we've lost our capacity to understand how connected we really are to the suffering of people that are right around the corner from us. I mean, an example would be Roe, right? You see Roe yeah. v. Wade was overturned. Yeah. White women went ballistic. Oh my gosh, now it's affecting us. So now we all of a sudden care. Yep. But we, what happened when, you know, we had, we know the history of what happened to black women in this country yes. of, of the eugenics and the testing. And most, I learned this, the most uh, knowledge about um, OBGYN care and pregnant women was because of testing done on black women yes. in their bodies. Yes. And just when you realize that it's like, wow, okay. All the things that, you know, science and technology were tested back when black folks weren't treated as equal people. And so it's like, I don't know, like we, we are affected and now we give a shit, you know? And it's like, <laughs> and so and the black community's like, uh, we're not going to help you now. Cause it, you know, yeah. we wanted your help in the midterms and white women voted for Republicans. And that's what, why we have these super majorities all over the nation. Absolutely. is because of the voting of our community. Right. You know? Well, and, and that's where the church has been an effective uh, means of perpetuating this stuff that they've been able to say, well, we don't deal with politics. I remember growing up in the 80s and 90s evangelicalism. We didn't talk about politics, but it was assumed you were a Republican. That's right. In in the white evangelical church. Yeah. Um, I know, you know, from now experiencing being in school in Boston and then being a pastor in a predominantly black city, the majority of Christians were not Republicans. (laughs) 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 And so, but, but growing up in that time, they didn't, explicitly talk about politics except for right to life Sunday, um, which was political, right? 
Um, so it was assumed that you'd vote that way. Yeah. And, and also we're not going to talk about this. <laughs> so you grow up thinking, being like, Oh, I hate politics and we should leave, keep that out of church. But Jesus, he was completely political. Like everything about his message was political. You can't separate it. But now we are of this opinion that, you know, he, he was about the afterlife and all that sort of stuff. So now people who are Christians who could potentially care about injustice the way that you've come to, and the, you know, the way that many people have are inoculated to think that it doesn't matter here. We're just holding on to heaven. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, there's denominations of Christians that that is their main focus. Right. Um, if there's, and I'm sure you, as a former pastor, you've kind of seen the, the change, like back in the nineties, it was all about getting to heaven. It was about the rapture and, and you separated yourself from the world because you felt like the world would be, um, temptation for you to, that you would stray from your faith. Yes. Right? If you went out into the world and you were with all the people of the world. Right. I was taught that. And when I was in evangelicalism now, and I talk a lot about Christian nationalism, but like now they you. feel like they, their duty is now to have one foot in the church and one foot in culture because mm. they want to influence culture. And so it's a different type of like strategy, but they do believe that the power of the, of God and the Holy spirit is so strong that if they're in government and they're in culture and in society doing all this stuff that supernaturally people will come to know yeah. the goodness of God. Right. That's what they believe. And the goodness yeah. of God means you're against gay marriage and abortion. But this is yeah. why what you said earlier is so important that the deconstruction and the anti-racism are so intertwined Yeah, that like all of the ways that this country has succeeded is on the back of this uh, Christian imperialism thing yeah. that's just evolving into new, new and different ways. And we've yet to see what it's going to be next, but I'm sure it's going to be a doozy. I can tell you what it's going to be. Oh, let's hear it, Nancy. <laughs> My opinion is they're going, and you're seeing it now, they are state, stating that their faith doctrine and their faith is the morality barometer of America, that mm -hmm. they believe that they have the moral authority to, to have the floor of what morality should be in America. And yeah. we both know, leaving the church, that morality isn't attached to a religion, right? Because then we can talk all about their hypocrisy and what immoral things they're doing, right? Yep behind closed doors and all that. But it doesn't matter because they can go into their school board meetings and into state legislatures and perpetuate morality and say, well, we're protecting the kids. How dare you not want to protect the kids? What the right. hell? Right. Like we want to protect children, but really it's just to spread their bigotry and to, I think, eradicate an entire community of people, the trans yes. community. That's what they're trying to do. 100%. Yeah. Oof. They're, yeah, they've become wholly obsessed with that. Mm. Yep. And so you're taking that more superiority um, from the pulpit into mm. government. That's what's oh, happening. Oh, it's so scary. It's scary. Yeah. It's scary. It's scary yeah. because so many people, and sort of back to this concept of empathy, it it's going to be really hard to have empathy for that group as time goes on. And it's exactly what we need. Yeah. And I think that's where it's something and you talked about this in the last episode where we were talking about the healing within the deconstruction community and how much more there is to be healed from so that we can get to a place where we're able to be that for people that don't see yet, but they're going to need that healing too. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know what, it, what that looks like for us because we're sort of, it's sort of a new movement within mm 
Um, but I think it's so important for us to hold on to recognizing our own humanity and how much we need each other and to have empathy on each other. It's so crucial. Uh, and I don't think we see enough of that because so much of our culture is based on our ability to prove the other side wrong. It's our, it's our um, kind of our own way to make ourselves feel like we're a good person. Like I right. said in the last episode, we are right. obsessed with being seen as good. And so if we can talk down and judge and shame people that are, you know, in a faith doctrine that are, is harmful and that is traumatic and all these things. I try to think of it now of like, there's some people that can't go with us, right? Yeah. Like there are some people that are so far gone that you can't, but there are people that are questioning their faith and they're, I have a lot of friends that are like, I'm a Christian, but like, I can't, I can't not notice the hypocrisy. I can't not notice these laws that are so um, harmful. Like, they're, they're preventing kids from getting psychological care, like those kind of things. And so those are the people we can reach that are yeah. that still might be Christian, <laughs> but they're like kind of wondering, where do I go? I don't fit in at church because they're holier than thou. But, and I really want gay people to have a life, you know? So yeah. I just feel like there's a spot for those people to land of like, there's more. And, yeah. and you can you can land in your belief and, st and stick with your faith that we're not saying that you have to be a non-believer. I'm, no. still, I'm still determining where I'm at. In my yeah. Belief. Of course, you know? <laughs> of course. So I just feel like there's space for empathy and compassion there of like, look, we can deconstruct together and you can land wherever you need to. And there's no pressure. Like, mm, I love that. But that's yeah. why the relationships are still so important to keep. Right. Yes. Very important. And then some mm. people you can't. Right. I know people that have gone no contact with their parents and 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 that's a case by case basis. Like if you feel like that's the healthy thing for your family and for your kids and for you then you do it. But if you yeah. have an open door to share with your parents or your friends um, of what you're experiencing, what healing that you're doing, keep it cracked open. If you can, yeah. if it's totally traumatic and harmful, don't, but like, right. I don't know. I just, but my perception is a lot different because I'm, I'm in a different position than a lot of people. So it's yeah. like, I, I think of like, if I had, cause my mother, you know, I told her, I told you she was really racist and yeah her anti-blackness was just out of bounds. And so yeah. I don't know how that relationship would be now. I don't, mm. I, I can't, I can't speak to that. So I'm just saying for everyone there, they have their own individual experience. But know? that's, you just showed empathy. I mean, I that's <laughs> where, like, it's such a, it's such a beautiful thing to hear because we're so not used to it Yeah. anymore. And I just am so grateful to hear people who are like, showing empathy to all the parties because we're all trying. just trying to figure this thing out. <laughs> it's it is, hard though. It is hard, <laughs> especially, <laughs> no, especially when you see injustice and you see how people participating in it literally puts lives at risk. Yeah. And it's hard to hold on to that empathy and that sort of understanding in those moments. And I think there are times when you are harsh and you speak you name shit like it needs to be named. And then there are other times when you listen and you, and you walk along with people because in the, and the other side of the coin is it is not for those of us that have done so much work of healing from anti, from racism. We also have hurt the black folks that have walked alongside of us. Yes. And so to, you know, it's, there's so much that's complicated about this. And then we also have a responsibility to walk along with white folks. And so when we think about this whole picture, it's 
there's it's hard to prescribe anything but the one thing that you said at the beginning that is so universally prescriptive is listening <laughs> there's just it's no hard. way around that one <laughs> <laughs> we have to we have to learn we have to understand other people's experiences that aren't like us and um just dig deep and realize how my beliefs and my way of living affects other people. And it's so, I mean, we see it from the Republicans and from really conservative Christians of like, well, that's not my problem. Mm. It's very individual. It's very internal of like, and that's how they vote. My money, my kids, my house, my school, my this, it's not about the collective of the community, but there's, you know, I want to vote for the, the the effectiveness of uh, and the healing of community so like i'm not trans but i want trans people to have access to care yes you know that's just humanity at the end of the day like (laughs) i i don't understand a lot of things about you know i'm not trans i'm not a part of the lgbtq community so there's a lot of things that i don't understand but like that's none of my business to even like make decisions based on that you know what i mean like i'm not saying that i'm anyways no you're good you would understand what i'm saying 100 percent and like I, think, I don't know what it's like to be a kid and like feel like I was born in the wrong body. I can't, I've never experienced that, but right. I can have compassion and say, gosh, that's gotta be really hard. Yes. Let's give them access to psychologists and medical doctors and whatever care that they need to, 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 to lower the harm reduction, re- reduce the harm reduction of them harming themselves. Yes. That's that is, just, to me, that's just no brainer, <laughs> but I know. And that's so important. That's so important because it's one of those things that I don't think if your brain is not that way, you can't understand. Right. Right. Like I can't understand what a person who experiences bipolar goes through. I can't because my brain's not wired that way. Right. But it's one of those things that again, man, I don't think I've mentioned Jesus this many times in an episode. (laughs) Jesus. um, Cause I'm trying to, I'm honestly trying to think about how to be more effective. And I know that Christians listen to Jesus. So I'm like, well, Jesus is famous for saying, for those that have ears, let them hear. Whoever yes. has ears, let them hear. And when you talk about someone that's been hurt by the church, that person's ears and eyes are starting to open up. They're starting to. They've started to notice how things don't sit well with them. And then their heart, their eyes, however you want to say it, their ears, they've become a little bit more open to what else is happening out there that's not good. Yeah. And I think that's where there's an opportunity to seize, which is why making content the way that you do the deconstruction community decolonization community the communities that we're sort of circling in are so important for people who are wondering what else is happening out there who else has experienced this so for those of us that do have ears there are so many others that that are starting to have their ears and eyes opened up and i think that's why it's so essential for us to not come at it with this like well, you know, I've been on this journey for a while. You should be listening to me. (laughs) (laughs) I don't, I'm just sharing my experience and my healing and what I've learned along the way. I'm, and I want people to understand that like, it's a process and it's not like, just like any progress in our country. It's as much as we want it to happen overnight. It takes a while. Progress takes time, but we have to be engaged and, and, you know, sure of where we're headed. And, I want to get behind people that have been doing this work before I got to class and they're the ones that, so we need to get out of the way. That's really what it is. It's like when it comes to change and all this, like listen to people of color that have been doing this and they have the resources to get behind them and, and, and donate and give your time and do, 
we don't have to be the leader. Like we can sit at the table and we don't have to talk like, <laughs> but for some reason, this superiority kind of thing in our whiteness is like, I have to be heard. I have to say, and, and sometimes there's a need for that. And then other times, no, I think, like, yeah, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I think the you know? need for that is when we hear people doing that and it's our turn and then we're like, okay, it's time for us to be quiet. <laughs> Yeah. Like we we tell the other white folks to be quiet. I think yeah. that's we we used to find that find that a lot. And I used to be with a community organizing group. It was a faith based sort of interfaith group. And oftentimes, white folks would come from these wealthier suburbs into our city mm-hmm. and say how it should be. Mm-hmm. You know, and with yeah. good hearts, right? It's like, well, this isn't right. This is what you need to do. And so that thing would be like it's, these are wounds. These are, you're, these are more wounds. Like you're perpetuating whiteness. You're doing the opposite thing that we're here to do. And I think that is such a common first mistake of like that urgency thing becomes that one of those first mistakes. Did you make, did you make that mistake yourself? Did you find yourself? So my experience was when I started this journey, I was learning all these things and I was learning about whiteness Um, but I did not center my healing. Mm. I centered advocacy for black people. And so I was like, black mortality, black women, uh, black mortality rate is higher than white women. And I would educate people about the stuff that I was learning, but it, but I wasn't healing. I was like just being educated on what the injustice is and not looking within myself. So like for us, for white women specifically, like centering our healing and getting that empathy and and dealing with inner uh, inner trauma from the church mm-hmm. or from our childhood is it's all in in intertwined together. Getting connected to our body, knowing how emotions feel through our body, because whenever we do make a mistake or we do have to have accountability, we have the techniques and coping within ourselves to not fall off and not continue the work because yeah. we got offended or mm-hmm. we are just upset. It, it really, I don't know if y- y'all use this term, but in the church, we call it the spirit of offense. If you're offended, Ooh. you know, kind of thing. Of like, I don't know this one. <laughs> oh God. Okay. So basically like the pastor would say, you have control whether you're offended or not. So okay. if you have the spirit of offense and you're gonna, just going to take what the accountability you have from your pastor and you're going to, you know, get defensive. But it was their way of controlling us of like, they yeah, tell us right. to do something and then we don't question it. Don't right? be offended. Right. So yeah. you take that, but still you're offended. You just don't vocalize, right? vocalize it. It's not like, it's not like it doesn't exist. So like I've, I made that mistake, like in this work of like not centering that first. And then I would be so afraid to speak up or even comment on a black woman's post because I was afraid that I was going to be like the woman that wasn't quiet, you know, kind of thing. I was, yeah. all this stuff was going through my mind. But then I started saying, okay, I need to talk about this journey from the center of my healing of Mm. what it means to decolonize and unpack all of this crap. Yeah. And then you start to see people of color, not as this like a different community and this, they're not a monolith. You don't see black people as the same. You see them as a spectrum of people and you humanize other people that aren't like you. And it just, it takes the view of the injustice in a different way because you have empathy and humanity for it. Does that make oh, sense? That makes so yeah. much sense. And I think it's yeah. important to note that point about black, the black community not being in like a monolith. Yeah. I feel like one of the things that 
the more I've leaned into, which has been a while now, talking about whiteness and white Christianity and all that on TikTok, the comments I get. So I'll get a wave of black folks that are like, it means so much when we see someone like you speaking. Um, and then I'll get other black folks who are like, you're a racist, stop talking about this. And then I'll get other black folks who say, leave us alone, stop making excuses. Someone recently wrote this, stop making excuses for our, the weakest of us and holding back our strongest. So yeah. these are three, just three different vantage points. And it's as someone who wants to do the right thing. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, of I have course. to. I have to weigh that, listen more, listen more, listen more. And that is the hardest thing. And, but what you said is what helps, like know how it feels in your body, pay attention to what's showing up for you. That healing work is so important because then you're like having empathy for each one of those people that's saying this and you're weighing it heavily. You're like, oh, I can understand why you think that way. I could understand why that feedback would matter. Yeah. yeah. And it makes you think even deeper about your position of like, wow, yes. this is coming from different sides within the black community. I understand their position. It's happened lots of times where I've made content of like where I've gotten content, the comments like that. And in the beginning, I got so afraid that I did something wrong. Yeah. I was like so hinged on a comment from a stranger in my yeah. video because I just did. I was just very afraid. Um, but now, like as you decolonize and unpack, you start to get rid of that binary thinking yep. and you can start to see a lot of nuance and like wave of like, OK, three things can be true at the same time, depending yes. on the experience of each person. Yes. Um, and so like there's there's a lot of things that um, that have opened my eyes to different policies or different things that affect communities in different ways. And being um, and that and, and working on our inner kind of knowing then we can dig deeper and say, is this true in my body? Like, do I really feel this way? Or is this something that I heard someone say? And it really makes you explore a little bit. And it's difficult because we're so indoctrinated to believe binary thinking, yes. white supremacy is binary thinking, right? Of like, right or wrong, good or evil, you know, bad, good. And there's not room for like some gray in there. And so this whole journey for me has been learning how to think non-binary thinking. Like, it's difficult. <laughs> Trigger <And> it <laughs> Non-binary thinking is like so good. Mo multiple things can be true at once. And yes, you, but you have to be sure of what you believe. Like if whatever you're talking about, like, hmm, yes. I never thought of it that way. And being all right with it and not thinking, oh, I'm a bad person or yeah. that's a or, bad take or whatever. Or that they're a bad person or that they're, right. yeah. you know, I think one of the impulses that I get that I think is most cringeworthy is when white people argue with black people about these kinds of things where you'll have like a, a black conservative who sees things differently for reasons that we can, that makes sense to me now. Yeah. Like, well, I get why um, someone might come down on that. So I get it because yeah. Democrats have let them down. White, white people are on both sides. Like I get all of that. And that's the important thing is to just, understand that there's no monolithic thinking for any group of people, but there are predictable things that happen. And so we know that predictably, if you're a black person in this country, you're going to have a different experience than a white person in this country. We know that based on yeah. what laws have been passed. And yeah. so the question isn't necessarily who to vote for or anything like that. It becomes centering what you said from the beginning, centering your healing knowing 
how all of these things have affected you, how you've benefited, how you've suffered, how your body has experienced it, and moving forward with that knowledge. That allows empathy. That allows you to then vote <laughs> in a meaningful yeah. way and to support groups that are worthy, not worthy, because like, what does that even mean? But that align <laughs> with what you value, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And do you, so do you have any of those groups that like you find, well, I really get down with what they're talking about, um, like any nonprofits or any leaders, any books, anything that you sort of have leaned into? Yeah. I mean, you? whatever I'm learning about something, I try to learn it from the lens of other communities. So for example, like dealing with my own body acceptance, fat phobia within myself, like I wanted to understand the origins of fat phobia and where this came from. And it's racial. Uh, it was differentiation between the black body. Um, so fear of the black body is a great book. If you want to learn about fat phobia and beauty standards and how that's rooted in white supremacy, um, all of that. I mean, when you start to really dig deep into the issues that you have personally and realize how they have racial origins and how white supremacy is woven into those things, it just blows your mind that like we've been so asleep to all of this for so long. For me, it was like, wow, okay, I know that all this is bullshit. Why do I still have problems with it? But then I have to understand and have compassion with myself and say, it's a yeah. journey, Nancy. You have to unlearn this stuff. You didn't learn it overnight. You're not going to unlearn it overnight. Um, and being patient with yourself, you know. Um, but that was just an example, like learning about, um, you know, the the uh, responsibility of white women during enslavement and mm. and how they contributed and pushed white supremacy and, and date and violence on, on enslaved people, you know, we, you know, how we have impacted the system and been impacted by the system. Um, Cause I, I, and this is just my hot take that <laughs> p- patriarchy and misogyny are something that white feminists really focus on, but yeah. they don't go deeper and realize that that is white supremacy. That's a system of power that, that is based on white supremacy. So you can talk about men and hate on men and all this, but like, it's deeper than that. It's a, it's a power structure that affects us as white women, but white supremacy affects people of color and we contribute to it. So those are the things that like, I think about, but there's tons of like, um, and I've kind of been on my own journey. Like now I'm at the point in my life where I want to get involved in nonprofits and start to kind of explore like how I can get involved but I think healing for me was number one. I need to mm. get underneath all that trauma from the church and my childhood and all that. And I'm getting, finally getting some healing in that. And now I feel more equipped, more self uh, aware, and then more confident to really speak up in spaces like that where I need to. I love it's, that. It's a journey. <laughs> yeah. Sure. I love that, Nancy, because like anyone that's listening to you will hear that you have done the work and you understand a lot of the systems and how they are interwoven and that you didn't just jump into advocacy. You didn't just jump into, well, I got to fix this now is such a great lesson that um, I think is not one that you see often. So I really appreciate you sharing that. Thank you. But I'm not saying that you can't do anything while you're doing this. Like you can bank, you can canvas, you can get involved with your local party or candidate. If there's a candidate that's running, like you want to get involved. I'm not saying don't do those things. Yeah. I'm talking about when it, t- when it comes to like racial issues and being in spaces with people of color, like we need to get healed first before we do that.
Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. I hope this conversation inspired some new thoughts or questions within you. Until next time, peace, my friends.